Hey, how are you? This is Scott Bryant Comstock with the Optimistic Advocate Podcast, and this is episode 23. And today I am very, very excited to have as my guest, Salome Tibabu. Uh, Salome is the director of the Upswing Fund. Uh, she's leading the effort to provide timely resources to organizations that focus on the mental health and well-being supports to adolescents of color and or LGBTQ plus in the United States. Populations that face urgent needs during the pandemic, but too often lack access to the care they need. Important uh, note about the Upswing Fund, and I, what I think makes it different is that funding for the effort comes from Pivotal Ventures, a personal investment incubation company founded and led by Melinda Gates. Back in October of 2020, I had the opportunity to interview Solomay and learn about the Upswing Fund's decision to provide funding uh, to organizations across the country who are serving adolescents of color and LGBTQ plus youth. The week we did our interview, they unveiled a number of grant opportunities so that was October. So here we are in June. I called Salome a few weeks ago and said, hey, how about an update on how this uh, wonderful rollout of the Upswing Fund is going? She said, absolutely, yes. So that's what you're going to hear today. Salome is going to talk about their efforts to fund. And actually, they ended up funding 88 grants. Whew. And they're off to the races. So very excited to hear about that. Salome is also the co-author of Rethink Behavioral Health Innovation, the source for digital behavioral health technology and startups. Salome's work as an investor, entrepreneur, nonprofit consultant, and behavioral health technology expert has been featured as a Harvard Business Review case study, TEDx Talk, The Huffington Post, Forbes Magazine, Upworthy, Psychology Today, and many, many more. Salome Tibibu is a force of nature. So with that, I have been in the mental health space for 40 years because I'm older than dirt, Solome. It is what it is. And all those years, and I've reviewed grant proposals, you know, for years all over the country. And one of the things that's always been a challenge for me is that very often the people who are doing the best work uh, you know, on the ground in, especially in underserved communities, don't have the resources of like major universities or big organizations who were able to tackle these immensely complicated funding proposals that would come out. And we saw this for years that very often the group that would get it, and it's nothing, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but the group that would get it would be this big organization. And then they would sublet a piece out to a smaller organization who are the people who are actually doing the work, right? <laughs> and I was so excited about this venture because I thought, oh, this is a chance to flip the script a little bit. I had people calling me after the announcement went out. They said, Scott, this, this it's, it's great because we can, we can apply for this. And I said, yeah, that's kind of the whole idea, you know, <laughs> is that you can do that. So Solomon, let's go in order. Talk a little bit more about Upswing talk about this effort, why you approached it the way you did, and what's happened. Because by now, I'm guessing folks have been funded, right? And, and I know it's early, but uh, we're very excited to hear what's happening. So give us the news. Yes. Thanks so much, Scott. Um, wow. I can't believe October. It just seems so far away. But at the same time, I mean, just so much has happened since then. And 
yes, excited to share more about uh, all that we've done since then. So, you know, as you said, the Upswing Fund for Adolescent Mental Health is a philanthropic collaborative fund that was seeded by Pivotal Ventures, which is Melinda Gates' personal investment and incubation company, um, as well as some other family offices now, and really came to be as a result of the pandemic. You know, adolescents and their mental health have been struggling for so long and have been in need of resources anyway, but really it was exasperated by the pandemic. So we came together to quickly stand up and launch the fund. And, you know, as you said earlier, we were trying to be very thoughtful about a streamlined, short, minimally complicated application process, particularly for the direct service providers who you know, are so busy with you know, actually doing the work. So that was a really important part of launching the fund. So around October is when we announced those two RFPs, one for direct service providers, and those could be more traditional mental health clinics who are serving LGBTQ and uh, LGBTQ youth and adolescents of color. But more often than not, it was community-based organizations who had perhaps less clinical interventions, but were really doing a good job engaging and reaching the target population we're looking to reach. And then the other RFP we launched was um, for systems enablers. And those were nonprofits who are really trying to evolve and advance the entire adolescent mental health ecosystem through um, a few different ways. That could have been through digital technology, school-based integration, public financing, workforce development, and stigma reduction. So we announced the RSP in October, got hundreds and hundreds of applications. And, you know, unsurprisingly, just the demand and the need is so vast. And, and there were so many amazing applicants, but we were trying to be really thoughtful around making sure we got a good diversity of geography, type of organization, programs, and so we ultimately selected our portfolio and announced earlier this year, 88 organizations uh, in the fund. 88. Yeah. So basically you haven't slept since October. <laughs> wow. Wow. 88 within the space of a couple of months. Yes. Yeah. Oh, this is so sweet. All right. So g give, give me a sense of these 88. Yeah. So majority were in that direct service provider category. We selected 10 systems enablers and had a pretty good balance across those five categories that I mentioned. But then the, um, the direct service providers, we got uh, across the country, we selected organizations in as many states as possible, a pretty good balance of, I think it was one-third LGBTQ focus, one-third BIPOC focus, and one-third both. And yeah, so it's, uh, I'm really just excited and pleased with uh, the selection. Give us a sense of the kinds of innovations that you're excited to see develop out of those grantees that you funded. Yeah, I could comment on, on both the direct service providers and the systems enablers. So for, I mean, in general, I'll just say we, this is a, a novel approach to to funding and and we tested out uh, uh, several things and um, I'm excited to see how uh, things unfold. One thing I'll mention is for the surge capacity grants, the direct service providers, 
We did select a few larger, more established organizations for very quick reach and scale because, again, this was really a COVID response effort and wanted to make an impact for adolescents quickly. But we also funded a lot of emerging organizations who were led by people of color or LGBTQ leaders or individuals with lived experience. And I guess I would say I'm I'm most excited about those because we got messages from them that said, this was actually our, our largest grant we've ever received and it could really help us get to the next level. So it's exciting to see that people who not only understand the population we're looking to reach, but actually reflect them could um, evolve and grow their organizations through these upswing surge capacity grants. Talk to me about what what the future looks like for this effort. So you, you, this was definitely a COVID response and, and very, very exciting. How do we keep alive, you know, the vision of upswing when we kind of, quote unquote, go back to normal? I don't think we can ever go back to normal, but. Right. I was just going to say. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even while we get this COVID pandemic under control, the mental health epidemic, like the the effects of COVID are going to be lasting, unfortunately, particularly for adolescents. I mean, so many of them have missed school, connections with friends, and so many of them receive mental health and emotional support through the schools and have gone without that. And so, you know, unfortunately, I think the need is is only going to be ongoing. And as I said earlier, the Upswing Fund is a collaborative effort. We're looking to have other partners who want to double down on the work that we're doing, join in and continue this work. I think we're able to fund one out of eight applicants, which just goes to show there's there's so many great organizations. And so putting that call out for anyone who might be listening that wants to join in on this, because definitely I, I, I see the need continuing. Is there a um, an ongoing funding cycle, application cycle? What what does that look like for somebody who's listening who maybe wasn't aware of the first round? Yes, great question. So we don't have any upcoming RFPs set just yet, but right now, now that we've got the portfolio of 88 organizations, um, we're now looking at, A, how can we even connect amazing organizations with one another? You know, we've got inquiries from grantees who said, no, I'm a small LGBTQ focused organization in Pennsylvania that wants to be part of the national policy conversation, but don't really know how or have the resources to get into that space. Meanwhile, we have a great group in LA who's similar profile and, and, and is quite involved. And so we're looking to see how can we create the platform to do a lot of peer learning within and, and outside of the portfolio. So that's um, a lot of the activities happening now. And then a lot of learning. We're going to learn a lot from the systems enabler projects, different ways that the surge capacity grant recipients are implementing their services and what they're learning to actually successfully serve BIPOC and LGBTQ adolescents through COVID. And we're excited to share those learnings with all stakeholders at the end of this grant period. Can you talk a little bit more about the system enabler grants and say, say, help, you know, make that three-dimensional for me. What does that look like? Yes. So again, we had five different categories and those were organizations that were focused on either digital technology, whether underwriting resources for 
individuals to be able to access digital tools or actually having a digital intervention themselves, school-based integration, public financing and, and policy, workforce development, and stigma reduction. So I can definitely talk about a few examples in, in each of those. Yes. Okay. Um, so digital technology, you know, as you know, Scott, that's something I've always been pretty excited about. And so it's fun to partner with organizations like the Lab for Scalable Mental Health, which developed an intervention called Project Yes. They're single session interventions that youth, um, I think they said their most popular channel was through Instagram and Snapchat where youth who are struggling can go and access immediate support for free, unlimited, and uh, without the consent of, of parents. And so they were able to figure out how to do that. Another one is Nod, which was an intervention for a little later. Our, our age frame is 10 to 18-year-olds, but they partnered with Colorado Education Initiative to be able to offer specifically this online CBT tool that was tailored for LGBTQ youth and youth of color with culturally competent content. So all students will be able to access that. I think something like 30,000 plus was their reach. Let's see, I've got so many examples. Let me make sure I move on to other categories. Let's see. So public financing, we're excited to partner with Inseparable, um, a mental health advocacy nonprofit that is doing a lot of work in a few states to advance access to school-based mental health. They're focused on California and Illinois, some specific legislation on the table there. Stigma reduction, we partnered with the Family Acceptance Project, which launched a national campaign to support family accepting behaviors for LGBTQ youth. And then as well as the ACOMA Project, which is building a national campaign around youth of color, mental health, and supporting families and parents to better support their uh, that population. And then finally, maybe I'll, I'll share one more. Under workforce development, Youth Move National, they proposed an intensive training pathway for youth and young adults with lived experience in the mental health system to obtain positions as youth peer support specialists. So there's really no nationally recognized training around this and, and the quality and frequency of what training is out there for youth peer support is is shaky. So I was really excited about that one too. All right, Salome. Salome, the year is 2026. 2026, you are looking back at this. What in, you know, historical perspective is a new effort, the Upswing Fund. How are you defining success? Yeah, great question. Well, a few things. Certainly, I would hope that the organizations that we funded and and even ones that uh, we didn't would have more support. I mean, as I said, I can't think of another category that could use more resources and could make such a huge difference at such a critical point in one's life, which is you know, at the adolescence stage. So, um, and especially those emerging BIPOC, LGBTQ, and lived experience-led organizations, I hope that the ones that we partnered with early on here, that this could be a catalyst to help them scale and grow. And then secondly, through this process, I hope that we'll have a better understanding of how to serve and um, support adolescents of color and LGBTQ youth, because just frankly, not a lot of research is, is really specifically designed to, to understand supports for, for these groups. 
Do you have a sense of when you will do a next round of funding? You may have said that, but I, I didn't. I don't think I caught that. Yeah, not quite yet. I wish I did. Well, you're only four months into the first round, so come on, Scott. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. That's good. So, if if people want to learn more uh, about the Upswing Fund and about the about the work of these 88 grantees, that's such an impressive number to just yeah, you know, make it happen. Is there is there a central website that's tracking their progress? Where should people go? Yes, definitely. They should check out theupswingfund.org and then click on our partners. You can see the full list of 88 organizations there. We're also featuring uh, news and updates from them in our regular newsletter. So they should sign up for that on the website. And then finally, we're doing a lot of exciting updates for the public, like, for example, our Ask the Expert series, which features not only our advisors, but other adolescent mental health stakeholders in the field. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, we will in, we'll put all this in the show notes. We'll encourage people to check it out. And I think we'll start featuring some of these. Maybe we'll, it, maybe you can be helpful in uh, those that I don't know uh, in our Friday Update newsletter and, and do some. I know you're probably doing the same thing, but it's always great for our readers uh, to learn about things that may be going on in their backyard that they're not even aware of. Yeah. Salome, before we go, because it's not enough that you do the upswing fund. No, 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 no. It's not enough. You also just, oh, I don't know, hosted like a 4,000 person conference going digital behavioral health tech summit. Oh, I don't know. Just in your spare time, I guess. <laughs> I know this is a passion of yours and congratulations on a very successful event, but can you tell our listeners a little bit about going digital? Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much, Scott. Yes. Um, I hosted the Going Digital Behavioral Health Tech Conference on June 3rd. And this was the, I think, the largest behavioral health tech conference to date. We had 4,000 registrants, 130 speakers, 50 plus sponsors, and five tracks. And the whole idea was convening all stakeholders who are interested in mental health and substance use technology and how it could advance access to more individuals struggling with uh, behavioral health issues. Because the reality is our provider shortages are real and they're going to be ongoing. And so the whole point was, how can we leverage technology to expand access? So yeah, most of the sessions were interviews by me. Uh, I wore the same shirt in every recording, so it kind of looked live, but... Uh, maybe people caught on when I was showing up in five tracks, but <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, and we had an entire youth track this year showcasing all sorts of innovations in youth mental health. So it was fun to have an upswing panel there too. That's awesome. And, and, and it, it, are recordings available to the, for the general, how do people find out more about that and check that out? Yes, totally. The conference was free for all attendees. All of our sponsor proceeds and donations went to a nonprofit called BEAM, Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. And the sessions are still ongoing, available for anyone to watch for free at behavioralhealthtech.com. That's fantastic. Well, Salome Dibabu, uh, yeah, and you know this, I've been a fan of yours since you were a college student <laughs> doing your TED Talk, is which is where I first learned about you and it's been wonderful to follow the arc of your career. And I think 
I think what's most impressive about you and what I would inc- I would encourage people to learn more about Salome is that is the one your laser focus on adolescent behavioral health, but not only that you're you have always looked at things through a equity lens, and and it's it's just really exciting to see how your career leaps have always been through this health equity lens. It's, it's, it's very, very impressive. And, and you're, you're, you're an amazing advocate in the mental health space. So uh, much love from the Children's Mental Health Network to you and the work that you do. And thank you for taking time out of your busy day to uh, spend a few minutes with us to give an update. I can't wait until the year update. That's going to be great. <laughs> Me too. Thank you All so right. much, Scott. I always appreciate you're it. You're so welcome. All right, Salome, be well. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Well, another great episode of the Optimistic Advocate podcast. And and boy, if you didn't know it before, you know it now. Salome Tipibu is just is 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 the is the advocate's advocate. She is a person who is for as long as I've followed her career, and that goes back to her at a young age, uh, has uh, led with passion, led with focus and conviction, and uh, always been about looking at equity as a driver in the work that she does. And, and we need more Salome's in this world. And very, very excited that she was willing to come on and visit with us today because, uh, yeah, that's one busy individual. So Again, uh, all of the links to the uh, websites mentioned and the organizations mentioned in the podcast today, they're all in the show notes. I encourage you to check it out. I encourage you especially to uh, visit the page on those grantees who have been funded and give you an opportunity to learn more about some innovative efforts taking place across the country. All right, that's it. This is Scott Bryant Comstock, and this is The Optimistic Advocate. I will see you later. We're happy to share whatever we've got.